you will never outperform the picture that you have of yourself. Possibly the most important thing is the way that you see yourself, and that's almost as important as the way that you see God. Many Christians will believe in the greatness of God, but discount the greatness that God wants to do through them. We taught last week that you will eventually act like the person that you think you are. Proverbs 23 and 7 says it like this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, the way you see yourself determines your attitude towards life. Your self-portrait is the way that you see yourself, view yourself, your self-confidence, your self-conduct, because again, you will always act like the person that you think you are. And when God wants to do something great in you, the first thing that he will do oftentimes is change how you view yourself. You have to learn how to stop saying what you are seeing and start saying what God is seeing. When God sees the church, he sees it as advancing and not surviving. And my confession then needs to match his. Amen? I see a church that has greatness in in it and in front of it because God will be in it and in front of it. I see a church that believes together is a good place to be. A church that knows that our land is worth fighting for. I see a church that turns their ears towards God and listens to him because we know whoever has our ear has our future. And I see a church that lives in what God is doing, not just what he has done. I see a church that reproduces life and not death. Heavenly Father, would you come in this room and help me? Amen. Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 18 is where we find our passage today. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Verse number 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the people of the Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. If I had to title this message this morning, it would be, it's either war or the wilderness. God had it all planned out. The people probably thought, out of Egypt and into the promised land. Good times are here again. Bricks will make themselves. Hard labor is over. The sweet life is upon us. But we all know that leveling up is never that easy. Look at your neighbor and say, leveling up is never that easy. It always requires something internal to change so that something external will be changed. The first thing that you need to know about this passage of Scripture this morning is how how much God cared about what they were looking at. Because what they were looking at was an indicator of their current posture and the level of fight that they had in in them. Listen to Exodus chapter 13 again. Lest the people change their minds when they see what? War. What you can see can change your mind if your heart is not anchored in his proper perspective for your life. God was noticing that when they were looking at the the journey ahead, that the effects of the last season left them not equipped to face the next season. So it was the wilderness or the shaping ground. Do you know that every person in this life will be required to face their wilderness? 
There is no avoiding the wilderness or the process that God has for you to shape you to become the man or woman of God that, you, that God's called you to be. And so it is individually, so it is corporately. God will never allow a church or a ministry to escape a wilderness experience because it's in the wilderness experiences in our lives that our convictions are shown and also our conveniences are shown. It is from, as my pastor would say, it is from the prayer of commitment that you enter the process that God has for you to become the product that he wants you to be. No one will escape the process that God has for you to become the product that he wants you to be. Most people want the process to be really short. But how many know with life's testings, our own inadequacies, our weaknesses, we understand that it is in that process that what's on the inside of us reveals to us what's on the inside of us so that we can submit that to God and then our perspective gets changed. Amen? Wildernesses aren't something to be avoided. The Bible says that even Jesus had to have his wilderness experience. Matthew 4 and 1. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Look to your neighbor and say, the wilderness is coming. That is not a word that you want to hear from your pastor, is it? <laughs> Hard times are here again. Amen. That is not what you want to hear from modern day preachers today. They, they want, you want us to tell you how to keep your bank accounts full and your boss is happy and your wife's not nagging at you and your kid's not telling you that you're old and you're not hip anymore. And, and you know, most of us want to come to that kind of gospel. But if we read in scripture, we know that there are a wilderness experience that God has in front of us for the shaping of our perspective and conviction in our life for the purpose that God has for us. So we understand this morning that wildernesses are not something to be avoided, but listen to me, perpetual or generational wildernesses should be avoided at all costs. If you're still struggling with the same things that you struggled with 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 40 years ago, there should be warning lights flashing in your life right now. Perpetual or generational wildernesses are not something that God intended for his people. Yes, we're supposed to have seasons of wilderness for the shaping of our lives, for the, for the care and compassion that God wants to give to us. What does the word say? If he's disciplining you, that means he's loving you. Whom the Lord disciplines or whom he chastens, he loves. But the church of America especially has seemingly been wandering for a while without advancement. Attendance is in decline. What does the average stat say for the American church attender? 1.5 times a month, if you're lucky. I don't even know how you show up to church a half a time a month. <laughs> the affection of the people of God are oftentimes pointed elsewhere. Families who would rather prioritize everything else but the kingdom of God and the unspoken thing from pulpits is largely the reason why so many people have turned their affection from the church is largely because of what the modern-day American church has turned into. We've turned to places of consumerism. We've turned to places where personal responsibility of your relationship with the Lord has been delegated to the pulpit or the leadership. 
And what we have to get back to is knowing that God has a purpose for every individual in his kingdom and that you're not required to be a spectator but a participator in that kingdom. Pastor, you're preaching good this morning. You keep going, all right? Many, if you're like a young adult like I was in the church, many of you will look at the Bible and read the Bible, and then you'll look up at the church and go, that's odd. And then you'll look at the Bible again, and you'll look back at the church and you'll go, that's odd. And you'll read some more Bible and you'll go, why is not what I'm seeing called the church in my life today a representative of what the Word of God says church is supposed to be? Come on, somebody. Why are we seeing transformed lives or miracles? Or why aren't we seeing people on fire for Jesus? And, and where are the people that are willing to give their whole lives for Him, not just part of their lives? And we have to have, a, as, as one of my mentors would say, a come-to-Jesus moment. Where we, are, where we look and say, Lord, I don't want to be involved in something that does not look like this. I want to be part of something that where when I walk in, I know that I'm not just about parkway business, but I'm about kingdom business. That my kingdom is not just to survive. My kingdom is a part of advancing the word of God into a broken world. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Where are the promise signs? The church today. Man, do we struggle at relationships. Unforgiveness, bitterness, hypocrisy. We love oftentimes the stranger more than we love the person in the pew next to us. Lord, help them in Springfield, Oregon, but I'm going to give that person next to me a dirty look. That's what the church has largely become today. And young people, especially young adults, walk into this environment and say, I don't want nothing to do with that. There's oftentimes more inclusivity in the world than there is in the church. We've got to look a certain way. We've got to act a certain way. We've got to talk a certain way. It's the stronghold of saying to myself that I'm okay because I'm not as bad as the person sitting next to me. Don't look to your spouse right now. That'd be really awkward. But most of us, right, we live in this, in this bubble to where we judge ourselves not by the Word of God or the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life, but I'm not as bad as that person. And the moment that you begin to walk in this comparison in the church, what you have is you have a race to the lowest common denominator. And what we have is we have a church today that when you check the Word of God, there's oftentimes a disconnect between what we're seeing from the Word of God and what we're seeing in real persons. Why? Why, Pastor? Why do we struggle at relationships? Because a gospel that is self-centered and narcissistic becomes all about me, and an all-about-me Christianity is not Christianity. How are your toes doing this morning? Look to your neighbor and say, your toe's good. Your toe's good? Everyone's toe's good? you got to be careful when it comes to your relationship with the Lord that you do not have it backwards. Who amongst you wants to be great must become what? Servants of all. You serve your way to greatness in the kingdom of God. It's these kingdom principles that most people don't know about. That if you need something, you probably need to give it away. If you're alone and you're wanting friendships, you know what the Word of God says? To be a friend. 
And so this kingdom that we live in is backwards from the world. You go to your jobs and it's a race to the corporate ladder, the top, where, you, where in order for you to get to the top, you've got to backstab every one of your fellow coworkers. You've got, to, you've got to talk bad about, you've got to talk good about yourself. Well, the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is if you want to be great, learn how to be the servant of all. We struggle at relationships. What else, you know what else we struggle with? We struggle oftentimes with generosity. The lack of trust and movement of the body of Christ have led us to not talking about generosity in the church today. And if the church doesn't release the God-supplied resources towards the mission field, we might as well lock the doors and give it to someone who will. Well, I'm, I'm preaching pretty good. When it gets quiet, you know I'm preaching really good. <laughs> to unleash generosity is not to unleash generosity to where it affects me. Unleashing godly generosity is about when it affects somebody else. It's, it's why some of the greatest moments that you'll find about how beautiful the church can be is when the kingdom of God recognizes that what you have in your hand is not yours. It's his. My wife and I, we were uh, new, new youth pastors, and, and I, like I've told you before, our oldest son had this rare disease that attacked his spinal cord. And the doctors basically left him to be an invalid, sign him up for a wheelchair, put him with a helmet. I'll never forget that moment I was driving behind the ambulance with my son who we did not know what was happening and my wife was actually strapped into the gurney with him and I'll never forget the moment that I had as this feeling as a man like I did that day. I had like 30 something dollars in my bank account. I had a quarter of a tank in my gas. I knew at that moment that the only thing that I had available to myself was enough gas and, and money to get there. I didn't know how I was going to get home and I began to pray. Like, Lord, would you help? Would you help this man? I, I need your help. And it's funny how God never gives you what you want. He gives you what, you what what you need. Some of the worst things that could ever happen for some of you in this room is praying that God allows you to win the lottery. Because we might not ever see you anymore. Somehow God knows the, the character and the intent. The, he's, he's formed and fashioned us and knows how and where we need to live. But I remember as, as a husband and as a father and a provider, as, especially as a young man, there were some missing building blocks in my life when it came to finances. And I'll never forget, most people talk about how poor the church is. We talk about the TV preacher, and we talk about the person who's embezzled dollars, and we talk about the church that hoards money and doesn't release it. But most of us have never been told about how beautiful the church can be when it comes to generosity. I'll never forget those 10 days or 12 days in the Kaiser Hospital in Oakland on the 10th floor. I'll never forget the amount of people that would come. And some would come up to me and say, the Lord spoke to me, here's $40. Someone came up and said, here's a check for $2,000. Someone came and said, I don't have much money, but here's a gift card that someone gave me to go get something to eat. Here you go. And I'll never forget after 10 days of being in that Oakland hospital where they basically sent my son home to be sized up for a helmet, put him in a wheelchair, there's no hope. He's going to be like this forever. I'll never forget when they came in and said, hey, your bill's due. What a, what a cruel thing to do. You're, there's no hope for your kid, but here, you've got to pay your money. And I'll never forget that I was such in a, in a, in a, in a just a, a fog that the, the lady came in and said, you're part of your insurance right now is you need to pay $3,900. 
And I remember going, this is funny. Like, there's no way. And I'll never forget, I went over to this envelope that we had stacked the cash in as people came up. You guys already know, kingdom people already know what's about to happen. We, we had given to us that week about 4200 or so dollars by the, and, and enough money to pay for our hotel while we were down there. I handed the money over. I had enough money to get home. And it was like on the way home, God was speaking to me through his people, son, I've got you. I've got you. Supernatural generosity oftentimes is not what you want. It's what you need And it's like I've said from the beginning of being your pastor, listen to me, every amount of resource that we need to reach this community is already in this room. It might not be in the church's bank account. It might not be, it might not be in your bank account, but everything that God has for us to do is done when we realize that God supplies the resource and the resource is you and I. Look to your neighbor and say, you and I are the resource. Some of you are like, I got $47 in my bank account, Pastor. I remember as a youth pastor, we we thought we were loaded if we can go to Taco Bell with the kids after service, and Tuesday was payday. That was really cool. I believe that the promised land wasn't just a destination or position found on a map. It was first about a position and perspective of the heart. Before God could move them externally, there was movement that needed to happen internally. The people had no idea what was in front of them. They knew what was behind them. Years of slavery, bondage, hard labor, no freedom, building a legacy for other people, raising their kids in perpetual bondage. What was tangible to them, what was holdable, was yesterday. And it is so easy for you to find your identity in known things, even if the known things cause you hurt and trauma. God promises you, though, a great exchange. That what is broken in your hand, if you will give it to him, will be released back to your hand, healed and whole in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Their life was known, planned, and truth be told, They grew accustomed to bondage. I want you to listen to me. Lock in. Bondage taught them how to think. If you're not careful and you've been part of the church on the front lines of ministry and mission work over the last decade or two in the American church, you will think that we are serving in a kingdom in decline. That bondage or lack or things, or situations, or circumstance has taught us to believe in a kingdom that is shrinking back and becoming destroyed. But that is not the kingdom that we are a part of. And if you're not careful, yesterday will influence today because it will attack your faith. They were hand-fed structure. They were hand-fed disappointment. They were hand-fed agony. But don't miss this. It was the hand feeding that had to change. If the only time you are filling yourself up spiritually is on a Sunday morning when your pastor brings you a word, you're not part of a proper kingdom. If you come to me and say, Pastor, I've got to switch churches because I'm not being fed, you're part of the wrong kingdom. 
that God doesn't want to just speak to you through preachers and pastors. He wants to speak directly to you. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. That you, you, you can turn and tune your ear to the voice of God. You don't have to wait for a Sunday. You can be part of the greatest adventure that has ever been birthed, and that's to be part of the kingdom of God. You will never get to your purpose in life by someone else's revelation of God. That's good preaching. You will never, ever get to your purpose in life by someone else's revelation of God. If you're a young adult here, you're a new believer, a new Christian in this room, you can have God's voice in you and, and working through you as much as anybody else. God has no grandchildren. Hallelujah. And the truth is, is that no voice, no matter how much you respect it, will ever reach into a place in your life that will shake you and change you like God's voice. Amen. Listen, I like to think that I'm a, a good preacher and that I can move you this morning. And if I told a good story, I could move you to tears. And I, I, could, I could make you laugh. I could tell you a story about my family. I, I think that with good oratory skills, you can maybe have something that you can remember for a moment. But the times in the kingdom of God that you will remember forever aren't the times when a man makes you laugh or a pastor challenges you for a moment. The times that you will remember, if you'll talk to any believer in this room this morning, the times that they will remember is at an altar. It was in a car ride. It was at their kitchen table. It was at that moment where they allowed themselves to not be tuned to man's voice but to be tuned to the voice of God. If you want your life to change this morning, don't look at me. If I'm worth my salt as a preacher or a pastor, is I take this pointy finger and I point to him and I say, that is who you need to listen to. Here's what John chapter 1, verses 27 through 28 says. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. To unleash your purpose, Brooke, would you come back to the keyboard this morning? To unleash your purpose, you have to quiet all the unnecessary voices so that you can learn how to listen to Him. When I rely on others to tell me what and who I am, and what, I'm, what I am supposed to do, I will always struggle believing what and who God says I am and what He wants me to do. I think oftentimes why the church is in decline is because we're looking for our purpose and our identity in the wrong places. I had a, I've been having a couple conversations with, with some people in our church and when I look at the word and I look at the church and I look at the word and I look at the church you, you start noticing some glaring differences and weaknesses isn't it amazing in the American church outside of a few small exceptions that pastors and missionaries are usually the only ones that get paid you ever thought about that you ever thought about the structure of the church and how it looks different in the word than it does at the church 
And how if you're a leader of the church, you better be a pastor or your, your, your ministry or your, your calling is not going to be funded. Where are the apostles and where are the prophets and the evangelists and the teachers and the pastors? I don't know if you've ever noticed the structural differences when you read in Scripture and what you're seeing and what you're viewing. I think there are some natural reasons why. What if, what if the leader of the church that, that, that you're a part of, what if my gifting wasn't to be a pastor, but I was called to be your leader? How would that look different? I don't want to answer this question for you today, but I want you to put it to prayer. I want you to say, God, why is the structure of the American church so different when I read the word and when I look at what I'm a part of? The Bible says in the last days that there will be this new system that will come where people will heap into themselves teachers that will scratch their ear or give me the structure that I can handle, God. I don't want personal responsibility in my walk. You hear it? The table's got to get turned in the American church. Because what, listen to me, listen, listen, solemn moment here. What we have built, if we're not careful, is a facsimile of what was actually supposed to be built. Are there supposed to be leaders in the body of Christ? Absolutely. Does everybody need covering? Absolutely. Even your pastor needs covering. Even your pastor needs people to tell, hey, buddy, you're out of bounds. Accountability and structure. The righteous man loves correction. So the word of God says. But what we have to get to all across this room, please listen to me. Please listen to this beggar's heart. It's not pastor. I'm putting my tithe in so that you can do the work of the kingdom. Pastor, I give in the offering so the missionary can go do the work of the kingdom. Pastor, I show up. I'm, I'm, I, got my, I got my jacket on today. I know when to lift my hands and I know, I know when to say amen. And, and that's, that's about as much responsibility as I want. Here's what God is saying to the Church of America today. The adventure that he's calling us to wasn't meant just for people who have become professionalized career communicators. That the adventure of God and his kingdom was not meant for a few. It was meant for it all. When you start, when you start understanding what God wants to do in your world, I get to live it. Pastor, I don't know, but God just, here's Aiden, I don't know, but, but God just, I had a curved spine and now it's straight and I was down here praying for something else and God, because why? Signs follow them who believe. You don't got to chase them, they'll chase you. And to be a part of a church that understands structurally here this morning, listen to me, you, no matter if you've come to Jesus for one week or you're about to come to Jesus this morning, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it's not to be a spectator in his kingdom. It's to be a participator. And so I'm going to invite you to do something that is radical today. Holy Spirit, what are you calling me to? Not what are you calling this church to? Not what are you calling this pastor to? But what are you calling me to? Would you stand to your feet all across this room? I'm so thankful that his voice is as alive today as it was at the beginning of time. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit doesn't just move us to a place 
of, of pondering, but he moves us a place to action. I'm so thankful that when God sees a church, he doesn't see perfect people, but he sees people that are perfectly surrendered to him, that it's in our weakness that he is made strong. Sundays were never meant to be the main course of what church life was supposed to be. Monday through Saturday, as you walk into your world and you preach the gospel, signs are gonna follow them who believe. God has an adventure for this church to walk on and in. Well, listen to me all across this room. It's going to take you grabbing the personal responsibility of your walk and saying, Lord, I don't just want to hear your voice yesterday. I want to hear your voice today. I don't, listen to me, I don't just want to know people that know your voice. I want to know your voice. Because when you hear his voice and you say, God, whether it's the wilderness or it's the war, I want to see me how you see me. And I want to see this world how you see them. I, this has been the prayer of this pastor's heart since this morning. God, when you look at this church, when you look at this pastor, I don't just want to be ready for the wilderness. God, I want to be ready for the war. I want to be ready for the war where we win souls for your kingdom. God, I'll walk in the wilderness because you called me to be there. It's a proving ground. But God, I don't want to be in a perpetual wilderness where I'm only allowed to see what's on the inside of me and not advance your kingdom. But God, let me be people that will advance your kingdom. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, Brooke, would you lead us in a worship song? Don't leave. God's got something. Take me there. Take me there. If you need just an offering, Lord, it's right here. My life is here. And I'll be a living sacrifice for you. Yes. 
are bowed, your eyes are closed all across this room. You're here this morning and you say, Pastor, this kingdom that you speak of, how do I get into the kingdom of God? The Bible says that you must be born again. You must have an awakening of your need of God in your life. Sin has separated you. This morning, you're going to be birthed into a new kingdom. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed all across this room. You say, Pastor, I know that my heart's not right with God. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I were to die today, I don't know if I would make heaven my home. But I want to leave this place knowing that I've surrendered my, my life underneath the lordship or the control of Jesus. You're not joining a church. You're not joining a denomination. You're not becoming a member of Parkway in this moment. You're becoming a child of God. When you go all in, He gives you all of Him for all of you. Every hurt, every pain, every struggle, every dream. What an incredible exchange it is to say, God, if you want to have a relationship with me, I'm ready. Your head's bowed, your eyes are closed all across this room. Christians praying. You say, Pastor, it's me. I want to give my heart to Jesus this morning. If that's you, would you stretch up your hand so I can see it? Yes. I see your hand, young man. Yes. Is there anybody else? God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, I want you to know how profound this moment is. Would you look at me, please? One of the young men that just raised his hands was someone that actually came to church last Sunday. I was talking to him a, a whole bunch of church words. You know how we talk church wordy? And he was looking at me like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I had to get so baseline, like surrendering everything you are, the Lordship of Christ. And as we stood down here after the service for 20 or 25 minutes and shared the gospel, he goes, Pastor, I don't know if, don't know if I'm ready quite yet. I've got to take this all in. And that young man just gave his heart to Jesus in this room. Hallelujah. 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 So let me do the privilege with the family of God. Would you put your hand over your right heart? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, Today I recognize my need of you. I may not understand it all, but I know that I need you. Thank you for what your son did on that cross. Today I give you my whole life, my belief, my confession, not just of you, but you. Forgive me of all my sins. I repent. Anything that you tell me to get rid of, it's yours today. I don't just call you Savior. I call you Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Would you give the Lord one big round of applause in this place? Incredible.
incredible. You indicated you gave your heart to Jesus this morning. We have got a team called the Yes Team. The Yes Team is like, what do I do when I say yes to Jesus? We have some, some things, some books, a Bible we want to give you. If you're serious about this thing, would you come after we dismiss everyone? Would you come and find me? There's, or John Anderson. John, would you wave at everybody? Would you find either him or I? And we just want to just welcome you and let you know some of the next steps that, that we took because someone had the audacity to love us right where we were at. And so we want to be able to pay it forward. Ushers, I don't know if you guys are there, but maybe on the way out, I had them make a flyer for, for some events that we had that are happening. I felt like just to try to put a tool in your hands today off of this message. To say, listen, I might not have the greatest oratory speaking abilities. I might not have all, these, all this stuff figured out, but I can invite someone to hear about the gospel. And so you're going to take that and you're going to invite a neighbor, a friend. Next week, you're not going to come alone. Look to your neighbor and say, don't come alone. Don't come alone because what God's doing here is incredible and a great adventure. Young adults, you in this room, God's put you on my heart today. You guys are going to become the catalyst, the catalyst for what he's doing. Listen to me. Don't come alone. Right now, God's going to start placing friends and family members on your mind to get here to the house of God, and the anointing and the presence of God is going to touch him in a powerful way. Heavenly Father, be with our people this week. Put a hedge of protection around them. Father, as our pastor would say for so many years here, Father, let us go be a light in a dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, God bless you guys. If you guys want prayer, you can say. This is a house of miracles.